Hey, bookworms. Welcome to the Picky Bookworm Podcast. I am so glad you are here. I am the Picky Bookworm, and I love bringing recognition to indie and self-published books through book reviews, proofreading, and podcasting. Every Saturday, I get to talk to a member of the writing community, from book bloggers to authors and even other podcasters like myself. I'll include a link to my website where you can leave a comment with your thoughts on the show or questions for the author that I may not have gotten to. You can also find information on how to sponsor this podcast. Ready? Grab your tea, wine, or laundry, and let's get to it. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Picky Bookworm podcast. I have Benjamin Cross on the show today. He is an author and friend from Twitter. He lives in the UK, and we have had a a really fun 10 minutes uh, before hitting record talking about accents and weather and the differences between the US and England. So some of that may end up in the show and you may get to be a part of it. So enjoy our chat. We're going to talk about books and life and authors and all that kind of stuff. So grab your tea, grab your wine, grab your laundry, Caroline. We're going to get started. Benjamin, how are you? Hi, Pamela. Yes, I'm very, very well. Thank you. And and thank you very much for having me on the show. Absolutely. Um, So do you prefer Benjamin or Ben? I'm happy to go with Ben just so we can get some additional words in over the course of the podcast. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, my, my nephew's name is Benjamin and he actually prefers Benjamin. Um, I don't yeah, think... I, I've, I've come across quite a few people who they don't like their name shortened at all. Yeah. Um, it's not it's never something that's kind of, you know, that's, that's particularly bothered me. But I can understand when people, you know, they've got a name, they like their name. They want people to use their full name. I, you know, I, I run across a lot of people that, you know, they'll tell me, you know, like you, they'll tell me I don't mind having my name shortened. And I'm like, yeah, but I really like your full name. So <laughs> I'm going to use yeah. it. Um, I had um, at one point uh, when I was in high school in my early 20s, I had three friends that were all named Stephen. <laughs> and <Okay>. so <laughs> I and I had to distinguish between them. And I um I really, I don't, there's one particular, I really don't want people to get offended, but this was literally how I had to refer to him, to other people, and even to him himself. So I had Steven, I had Steve, and I had gay Steve. (laughs) (laughs) And I, you know, and it, that was, I mean, that was literally because, I mean, he knew, um, that I had other friends named Steve. And so he was like completely fine with me referring to him that way when, when talking about him. Cause I'm like, yeah, dude, yeah. I have three friends named Steven. I have to differentiate between <laughs> you somehow. So he, you know, and I made sure that it was fine with him. So please do not at me, please do not get offended. But that was literally how I had to um, refer to him just so we could differentiate between um, my, my Stevens. And then the at one, and then at one point, I think I had 20, 27, uh, Davids that I knew, um, at one point in my life that I could name all of them. Yeah. Um, yeah. names are crazy. Yeah, I, I remember when I first went to uh, university and there was a guy there that I met and his name, he told me his name was Kipper. Uh, and I was like, it, surely it's a nickname. And it gradually came out that the reason he was called Kipper is because his other four best friends were all called the same name. They were all Chris. Oh, so no. there was five Chrises. So they'd each given each other a nickname <laughs> and his was Kipper. So yeah, I think it's, you know, oh, it's quite crazy. common when, when a name yeah. becomes popular, you know, everybody, you know, a lot of people seem to end up with the same name, don't they? So. I, yeah, I, I'm an um, administrative assistant um, for my day job. And I was telling somebody um, in the database that we use, um, for our health records, I, I had told somebody, I'm like, when you turn in paperwork for me to scan, I need you to put the ID number on the, on the paperwork because we will have kids that literally have the same name. We have, you know, our, 
the American families are, they're so involved in having the original and the unique that, you know, when it comes to our American families, it's more likely that you're never going to find a double name. Um, yeah. But in our, we have a, a Hispanic and a Burmese population, both, that they don't see the names the same way that we do here. So we would have like 50 Jose's or, you know, yeah, and that, yeah. so yeah. I'm like, in order to, again, differentiate between these 50 different children, we need to use their numbers. And um, we, you know, so we have to be really careful about that because we always want to make sure that the right kid is getting the right care. You know, yeah. it's not. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, so, so where I live at the moment in the UK is in Wales. So I'm in the south, southwest of Wales. Um, so just just for for anybody's benefit who's not familiar with the UK geography, this is the sort of western part that kind of sticks out, and it's separate. It's it's um, a, a lovely place, but it's got very very sort of um, specific historical characteristics and a, a very sort of big sense of heritage, and there are lots and lots of Davids. Um, Gareth's and Thomas's and lots and lots of people with the surname Jones as well. So it, it's like you were saying with the Burmese um, yeah. populations that you've got, you know, there are a lot of people in Wales who have got the same name and surname. There. Yeah. Um, names are, names are crazy. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, again, I, I am not saying any of that to, um, be you know hateful or anything towards those populations that has absolutely nothing no, to course. do with that yeah. it yeah. you know is it was simply you know i'm like we got to be careful you know because again we want to make sure that the right child or the right adult or you know the right whoever is getting the the proper care or getting the the correct documents and so yeah that, you know, that's the priority be, for you isn't it absolutely we always want to yeah. be super careful about that so um yeah you mentioned wales wales is my favorite part of england it's mm. and it's the one accent that i will probably never be able to to capture like ever um we were talking um yes i mentioned in the introduction we were gonna probably talk about accents um yeah, here we are and yeah. here we are um but i you know wales has you know the the welsh accent is it's so pretty and i i think it is just absolutely gorgeous and i'm like i have tried not where anybody could hear me uh, <laughs> because it did not come out well but i have tried to actually pronounce things and and you know my one of my favorite tv shows um is torchwood uh, oh, the, yeah, yeah. the doctor who spinoff and uh, one of two of the characters actually got Gwen Cooper and Yonto Jones, <laughs> Jones. Um, they're both Welsh and they're both from Wales. And so whenever I would watch an episode, I would take like one of Gwen Cooper's lines, for example, and I would try to imitate it in her accent. It did not. I am sitting here <laughs> shaking my head back and forth. It did not end well. And so I, I have really just come to terms, I think, with the fact that um, I, I'm just going to have to just listen to Welsh accents. I'm never going to actually be able to imitate one. I, I, I agree with you. I think it's a very beautiful language um, accent, sorry. But yeah. I was going to say they do actually have, I mean, there, there are still, around where I live in Carmarthenshire, there's a, a huge population of native Welsh speakers. So they've got their own language still yeah and it's a it's a, a celtic derivative um and it's my my children are learning it in school so my youngest boy is six and he can actually speak in welsh to a certain extent i can't speak a word of it you know i just i'm like you i just enjoy hearing other people i'm not speaking, even sure i would want to try no well it, it's it's weird because him and his brother now have got a kind of a secret language that they can use behind my back so yeah it's uh, it's good for them but perhaps not so good for me no oh, perhaps not <laughs> yeah i um i have seen um like street names and town names and stuff written down in 
um, the Welsh language and in Wales, and they're yeah. like a half a mile long. <laughs> yeah, the, there's a famous uh, train station name over here, and it's you know it, it's so many letters you just wouldn't believe. And there are people that sort of pride themselves on being able to to reel it off. Basically, they know the whole thing. I, I know the last bit of it, which is Hantasiliokokoko. But the first bit is, is about five times longer than that, and it's all one name. And it, it's quite interesting when you get yeah. into it. It's the, the name is a descriptor, so all it is is saying in Welsh, you know, the, the train station by the hill in the valley next to, you know, the watercourse or whatever it is. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's very interesting it's, and a lovely, lovely language to it's hear. A, yeah, it's a beautiful language, and it's a, yeah. you know, every time I watch um, – you know, a show that's uh, like a BBC show, like Doctor Who or Torchwood or, you know, things like that. Um, I'm a huge Doctor Who fan. I love Doctor Who. Um, and so whenever somebody comes on like a particular episode that has a Welsh um, accent, I get super excited. I'm like, yay. Um, because, I mean, I just, I love the accent so much and it's just, it's the one I'm never going to be able um, to uh yeah to imitate it's a tricky you know, one Co but, cockney but, cockney is another one that i i don't think i'd ever be able to actually catch on to i can do the posh like no problem um that just means you know basically that just means you pronounce every letter perfectly <laughs> yeah that, that's about enunciating that your words isn't it um rather than uh, yeah just sort of drawling or you know uh, doing, doing whatever you, else you do for your accent but my one if yours is welsh obviously then you're uh, achilles heel of doing accents mine's probably uh, what we call geordie so north northeastern up around newcastle area in england um i absolutely love the geordie accent i can't do it i can do i can have a reasonable go at most of the others but i just cannot crack this one particular accent um so yeah that sounds like my wales my welsh yeah your yeah your your accent your accental yeah. achilles heel there we go yeah. <laughs> um okay so we have been um talking about accents and and whether um, for about 10 minutes now. So let's move on to um, you and give us just a little bit of your history as an author. Uh, when did you start writing? What kind of books do you like to write? Um, how many books have you written or published? Um, actually written sure. and published because I know um, – if you're an indie or self-published author, the chances of you only working on one book at a time um, is <laughs> going to be slim to none. Those those chances are just, you know, so you probably have like 25 works in progress. Um, but how many books yeah. have you written and how many have you published? So I've, I mean, to, to go back to what you were saying originally about sort of how, how I got into writing, um, I've, I'm one of those people who sort of, you know, I was, I was writing things down before I could talk properly, basically. It was always just a medium that I enjoyed. I, I, I loved reading from a very early age, and I very much enjoyed that sort of medium for expression as well, even as a very young, young child. And I remember one of the first things that I did was to start sort of keeping a diary, but a non-diary, a, non a kind of a fictionalised account of, you know, the things that me and my friends and my cousins and other people were getting up to. Um, I'd work tales in that other people had told me, you know, if like my parents had told me something about, you know, what happened to them as a child, I'd maybe work that in as well. And so it was all very much grounded in um, fact, but I'd kind of, I'd kind of taken it on and assumed it as part, as part of my fictionalised life, as it were. And um, yeah, I, I guess that was the first sort of um, foray into into writing for me. Um, and then, obviously, as I as I grew up, I kept sort of um, writing stories, and yeah, um, always been a voracious reader. Can't can't get enough, um, and I think that's important as a writer as well. You know, you need to your your reader can tell if you're doing it for reasons other than because you love writing, you know? Yeah. And I think the reason that a lot of people get into writing is because they love to read it. And absolutely that's, that's the way it should be. Um, and when I was at university, I started sort of sending short stories around and seeing if I could get them put in magazines and things. And I got a couple accepted for a particular publication, which was called the Mayus Anthology. And that's what I was doing my postgrad. 
And so this was supposed to be um, the best sort of new writing from students who were at Oxford and Cambridge unis. And it was put into an anthology. And the first story that I had published in it was in 2007, and it was called The Changing Room. And it was about the, <laughs> it was about this kid um, who basically got um, bullied while he was in a, a swimming pool with school. And it was about how he got revenge on the the guy that had bullied him, basically. He'd almost drowned him in the pool. Um, and, and I was just, when I found out that that had been accepted for publication in the maze, I was just absolutely, you know, overwhelmed. And it kind of really kick-started me into thinking, this is something that I could actually do, you know, and I could keep going with it and see how far I can take it. Um, so I had another piece published in the one the year after, uh, and then I started on my novel after that. Um, and it took me an awfully long time. Um, you probably hear this from a lot of the writers that you speak to, but, you know, unless you are particularly wealthy or, you know, you can somehow do it full time, your writing has to fit in around everything else. It's, yeah. you know, life really does get in the way. <laughs> um, and yeah, so there was getting married and having kids and all sorts of things got in the way. But eventually I got there with Colony, which was my, um, my book that's out at the moment. Um, and that... Um, I'd got an agent to represent me for that, um, and we eventually placed it with a small publishing house here in the UK, um, and then that came out in January last year, and it's been doing really, really well. It's um, it so gone to the, number one. I am so sorry. You said the title was Colony? That's right, yeah. Okay. I'm, so I'm looking for it so I can check it out. And, uh, yeah, that... That um, I mean, it just it smashed all of my expectations. Really, it, it made it to number one on Amazon in the US um, and also in Australia, I believe, um, and in the UK for a short time as well. It's it's always been more popular in the US, I have to say, which is quite quite interesting thing, which we can talk about a bit later. But um, yes, yeah, so that's that's still out there. It's still doing really well, and um, we managed to sign the audio rights as well to Tanta Media. So the audio book is out at the moment, and it's narrated by a guy called Dan Kelly, who is exceptionally talented uh, voice actor. Um, he's been—I mean, he's, he does sort of credits. His credits are for think films on Netflix and all sorts. You know, he's, he was in the Dark Crystal um, series that's out at the moment. Oh wow! And he's okay. a really—he's he, a really lovely guy as well. So, so yeah, that's kind of doing the rounds at the moment. And yeah, that's um, that's where I'm at with the with the publishing journey. Okay. Um, so real quick, um, the, the book Colony by Benjamin Cross, it is published by the Book Guild. Um, the book if Guild. anybody yes. wants to go and check them out. Real quick, I'm going to read the blurb because this sounds really interesting. Um, and there's some words in here that we'll we'll see if I can manage because there's there's one when it comes to your little bio at the end there's there's one word that I'm probably going to struggle with but I'm going to give worry. it a shot. I'm here for support. Don't I'm going to yeah. give it a shot. Um, so it's hopefully <laughs> hopefully I won't butcher it too badly, but I'm going to warn you ahead of time. It is a Welsh word, so ch the chances of my butchering it are pretty high. So, okay, <laughs> here is the blurb uh, for the listeners real quick. Um, Harmsworth, a remote mist-shrouded island in the Russian Arctic. Archaeology professor Callum Ross, huh, that's my maiden name, makes the discovery of a lifetime, a prehistoric ice mummy preserved for thousands of years by the sub-zero temperatures. Only they didn't die of natural causes. Woo! As Callum races to unravel the mystery of the mutilated corpse, others race to sabotage the expedition. He and his team are left stranded and they are not alone on the island. Someone or something relentless is stalking them. As the Arctic mist descends and the death toll rises, the team is thrust into a nightmare fight for survival involving submarines, cyber warfare, and Spetsnaz. But none of this can prepare them for the real terror that survives deep within the island's heart, a secret so ancient it's been overlooked by time itself. Now, if that blurb does not get you to go by Colony, listeners, I, I don't know what will, because I, I think I need to own this book. 
um, the the chances of my actually getting to read it anytime soon is my I swear my TBR will forgive me someday. Um, so here is the, I've got a similar I've got a similar TBR pile at the moment. Don't worry. I think just, I think just about everybody does. I think just about everybody does. I I don't think that I would be able to. I think just reading constantly, not even podcasting, not even blogging, not even reviewing, not even any of that, just reading constantly. Whenever I'm awake, I am reading. I'm pretty sure it would take me about seven to eight years to get through the books <laughs> I have now. So that's a reasonable estimate for adding, my as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so adding to my TBR probably not the best idea, but... <laughs> <laughs> I, I I can't help it. There there are days I just can't help I, it. So. I, I'm with you. Yeah. Um, with you. <laughs> okay. So the little there's a little bio for Ben um, at the bottom of the uh, the blurb, and it says Benjamin Cross is an archaeologist. We're gonna have to talk about that. Uh, that fascinates me. And writer based in Carmarthenshire. That's right. Yeah. Uh, yes. Wales. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> with an MPhil um, in landscape archaeology. I'm not sure what an MPhil is. Is that like a, an American master's degree? It's it's Master of Philosophy, so it's a two-year master's, basically. Okay. Um, yeah, I think, well, over here, the master's would tend to be a one-year course of study, but the MPhil is a two, and it's kind of halfway between a master's and a PhD. Oh, nice. Okay. Um, from the University of Oxford. He's an Oxford dude. Indeed. Nice. As well as excavating archaeological sites across the UK, he's been lucky enough to explore some of the world's most spectacular ancient sites. From the temples of Cambodia to the Andean cloud forest cities of Peru, from the burial sites of the Tibetan Plateau to the Maori strongholds of New Zealand, he is now an associate director of heritage and archaeology at a national consultancy and is a member of the Chartered Institute for Archaeologists. Colony is Benjamin's first novel, and it was written whilst he worked full-time as a professional archaeologist. Okay, just that bio, it could take us about three hours to get through all of the, like, coolness that is that bio. I, I am absolutely fascinated by archaeology. It is not something that I have ever, ever, like, chosen to study um, in school. It's not anything that I um, ever wanted to make a career out of. Um, but I've always been fascinated by people that study it. Um, Ross from Friends was always like yeah. my my favorite. Um, he was he was a whiny little dude. He he really was. He was. Yeah. The, the he, fact he, that Ross he, became my favorite character toward towards the end of the the series. Uh, um, but yeah, it was uh, he, he was he was a very good character. He was just to draw a little distinction there, though, Pamela. He, he, he was, was a, a paleontologist. Uh, a paleontologist. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, but um, you know, so archaeology um, and anthropology, um, mm, the study yeah. of ancient cultures, um, were have always been just two subjects that I am just endlessly fascinated about so they, they are fa absolutely fascinating areas I mean obviously for me it was it was I couldn't resist just carrying on learning about it and getting involved yeah. but I, interestingly when I started at uni I started off doing English literature and um, I, it was it was kind of putting me off reading because I had people telling me what to read and oh, what I, I should think yeah, about it, you know, and when I needed to have read it by and things. And it was like, this saps literally all the joy out of the process of reading, you know. Um, and so I decided to switch course. And I had a friend at the time who was doing archaeology. And he basically said, look, why don't you come and, and just see what it's all about and see if you like it. To that point, I hadn't even realized that you could study it if I'm quite honest. Yeah. Um, and I, I went along with him, and I think the first time that I listened to what everybody was talking about, I caught the bug, and that was it. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I can totally understand that. Um, my What I studied um, in college um, was psychology. Um, I, the, I did psychology in college as well. It's, it's basically <laughs> psychology for me. Um, psychology is basically the study of motives. 
you know, I, you know, the fascination that I have with people is not, it's not necessarily like a study of what they do. Um, my interest is always why people do what they do. You know, it's yeah. always, it's, I have a, a huge interest in motives. Um, you know, my friend Gabe and I record a, a podcast um, that we are watching the TV show Alias. Um, okay. yeah. And uh, we, you know, it came out 20 years ago, but it's, it's held pretty, pretty well. And so we watch an episode a week and then we record a um, podcast about that, that week's particular episode. And the, and the way that we do, the way that we end up talking about it is he is the, the info dumper. He is the, he's the one that will tell you what happened, when it happened, the order of the episode, you know, and all of that. And then as we talk about, you know, what happens in the order of the episode, I end up talking about, okay, well, this particular character, I think this is why they did such and such. Yeah. And yeah. so it's our, so our discussions are, are very balanced uh, in that way. And I'm just, yeah. I'm endlessly fascinated um, by people's motives and, and why they do the things that they do, even if the things that they do are not nice things. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, yeah. I, I, I'm very similar. I think that some of the most fascinating things that you can sort of watch and get involved with and, and read about, obviously, as well, are situations that arise out of sort of, you know, human, the, the basic sort of primeval human desires and, you know, um, what people want, what they're id. If you remember from, from psychology, id, yeah. id ego and superego, how those things interplay, you know, and I completely agree, it is, it's a fascinating area. Um, I would have liked to have gone into psychology as well. That's something, I don't know why I never sort of proceeded with that or, or kept an interest, to be honest, but yeah, very interesting. See, now all you have to do is just get some books on anthropology and then you can... In, um, integrate your psychology into archaeology and come up with anthropology, and then yeah. you know there you go, three interests in one. Um, you're good a, to go. A, ver a veritable melting pot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what what is the what's your favorite of all of the places that you have been able to go and explore um, and excavate and, and all of that? What are some of your favorite places that you've traveled? So I, I think. A standout for me really is, is probably Peru um, and the cloud forests there, which you, yeah, <laughs> which you mentioned before. And it's, I mean, it it, it is the archetypal or, or what you would imagine as the archetypal sort of archaeologist's paradise, really. Yeah. You can, you know, if you, you get a guide, you can go and wander around in the cloud forest areas, not necessarily remote, you know, there are trails everywhere because it's such a popular place to go and, and, and experience. And you'll literally just, you, you'll find ruins, you know, that haven't been investigated yet or recorded because they're literally everywhere. So you'll be walking around through the cloud forest and, there's a temple, you know, there's some ruins, there's, you oh, know, bits and so pieces cool. absolutely everywhere. And there are the obvious sort of tourist draws like Machu Picchu and places like that, um, which are really, really sort of awe-inspiring. And they've been, the, I guess the thing is, they've been kind of manicured. So those places, they're, they're exceptionally interesting, but you can see that they're very, very well maintained and, you know, there aren't any, there's nothing growing on the buildings there. It's all very well kept for the tourist experience. But if you go off trail and you wander around and you find these smaller sites, you know, they've got trees growing out of them and, you know, there's animals around them and things and it's it's very, very exciting. It's, it's much more of an adventure, basically. Oh, I bet. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I um, I was hoping you would say Peru. Um, South America and Central America are just, they are two of the just most absolutely beautiful places. I mean, not, not, I'm not saying that other places in the world are not beautiful, um, but just that, that tropical green, um, you know, my, when I was 10, I got to go to Guatemala for a week. And, oh, fantastic. Um, they hold on one second. I am so sorry. Um, okay. <laughs> I 
I, I've probably mentioned this before on other episodes, but for some reason, when I come in here to record the podcast, my nose starts itching. Like I have the most horrible histamine reaction. And oh, I, uh, so I was taking a Benadryl so that I hopefully <laughs> get my, get my nose to stop itching. Cause I'm sitting here like messing with my nose. Um, but I mean, I come in here and sleep. I'll come in here and read. I'll come in here and clean like nothing. I come in here to record and my nose starts itching. Away I, we go. Yeah. I don't that, know why that is. So that's really peculiar. Isn't it, it? Is, yeah, it is peculiar yeah. and it's irritating. Um, yeah. So, Just as a, a, a slight aside, actually, Pamela, on, on the sort of histamine um, front, I I had COVID nineteen in January this year, oh no. and um, it was I was fine. Like, I can't, you know, I got over it. And I, I thankfully wasn't, you know, I didn't suffer with it too badly. Good. Um, but what it did do was it left me with this. Um, it's kind of like a long COVID symptom, which is a rash which comes up. And it lasts for about sort of 20 minutes. It will come up anywhere. So if I could be talking to you now and you'd see just a little red area come up on my forehead or something. It lasts about 20 minutes and then it goes. And it is the most peculiar thing. That's but weird. the only way I can treat it is by taking a antihistamine every day. Um, and then it stops it from flaring up, basically. Well, uh, and I and it's it's funny because when I wake up in the morning, I do take a Zyrtec um, because I have allergies. I'm pretty sure I'm allergic to my cats, but I'm never getting rid of them. So I deal with yeah, it. So some things are worth putting up with. Some, things are, worth, <laughs> some things are worth it. Um, so I take a Zyrtec every day. And I took one this morning hoping that it would um, get control over that um, before I came in here to record. Nope. So I keep, so I learned my lesson and I, I have started keeping a 25 milligram um, emergency stash um, yes here because the benadryl will hit quicker than the zyrtec will um and hopefully keep my nose from itching off my face too bad so because it'll last probably 20 to 30 minutes after i'm done recording my nose will still yeah. be itching so hopefully we will um get through that um yeah. so back to what i was saying before i had to take a benadryl um i uh, when I was 10, I got to go to Guatemala on a missions trip, and it was absolutely gorgeous. I mean, it was just absolutely beautiful. And, you know, we didn't have, because it was a missions trip, obviously we had, you know, all sorts of things going on during the day, but we had one day that we were um, off. It was like the day before we were leaving, and we got to go out to Antigua which is, um, it's on the shore of a lake. It's a, it's a little village on the shore of the Antigua Lake, Antigua River. I don't okay. remember. I was 10. This was 30 years ago. Um, yeah. <laughs> but you'd be doing well if you could remember the name was, of that river. <laughs> um, I, I remember, I remember a lot about, about the trip. Um, Mostly what I remember is everybody sitting on the plane um, as we were leaving, absolutely bawling because none of us wanted to leave. Yeah, <laughs> we yeah, we all, like our entire group, and there was probably, I think our whole group was maybe 30, 30 people, like 25 to 30 people, and uh, none of us wanted to leave. We were all just sitting on the plane just absolutely bawling because we yeah. just wanted to stay. Um, and yep. the, the big part of that is not how beautiful the country is. Yes, it's absolutely gorgeous. But when you go into a um, third world country like that, it's the people that yeah. they are. I mean, they were just absolutely a beautiful people. I mean, they were so kind and they were so generous and they were just just absolutely Beautiful. I mean, that's literally the yeah. only word that I can really use to describe it. And just none of us, I mean, we all wanted to just stay, hang out with everybody and <laughs> just like live there. And, um, I have always made it, um, onto my bucket list that I would like to go back, um, before I die, I would love to go back to Guatemala and, you know, go on vacation, just go and just travel, um, through yeah. the country, um, and That's lovely. I've not been to Central America. I'll, I'll have to bear that in mind, actually, because it's somewhere I'd love to, to visit. Yeah. So, yeah, Guatemala, yeah, 
very firmly on the list after speaking. Yes, to you. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, yeah. My sister, my sister got to go to um, Honduras later that same year and had the same experience. Um, so the, the people of Honduras were just absolutely beautiful too. And I, you know, and I work with um, a lot of our, the Spanish speaking uh, people that I work with at my day job are from a lot of the Central American countries. You know, I have, yeah. I have two, two ladies that I work with from Venezuela. I have two from Peru. Um, I have several from Mexico. I have one from Puerto Rico. Um, I have one from Guatemala, um, you know, and it's, I'm pretty sure it's like a, a Latin personality thing is that they're just yeah. all super sweet. Um, yeah. cause I, I have yet to meet, um, anybody, um, from a Latin country that is just not an absolutely beautiful person. Yeah. And, and I think on a, on a sort of a, an archaeological thread as well, I think that the thing that I love about countries, particularly in sort of that South and, and Central America area, is that they've not, because they haven't been so industrialized and so developed or as much so as other places, a lot of the history there, it, it kind of lives on. Yeah. to a greater extent you know it's like over here yeah there's tons of history but we've also built skyscrapers all over it you know uh, but over there there's i'm just thinking of, of one very good example is when we were in we were in peru we went up to a place called lake titicaca which um is basically like um the, i think it's the the highest navigable lake at least in in that continent if if not beyond that I, I don't know globally but it's at 3,800 meters um and there are still people called the uros culture who live on little sort of reed islands out in the middle of that lake and i was talking to somebody when i was there about why that had developed in the first place and it turns out that they'd gone out there to escape from the aggression of the inca Oh. And so obvious, yeah. So obviously, this is a tradition that that is still alive. That was influenced directly by the Inca civilization of five, six hundred years ago. You know, that's it's still so there. You can take boats out and visit these islands. You know, um, oh, that's it's incredible. so cool. Um, yeah. So uh, I noticed that your your main character in this debut book, uh, Colony, is an archaeologist as well. Um, Surprise! <laughs> how um, yeah. how do you feel about um, the the whole write what you know theory? Um, do you do you think that that is that is a rule that you know applies to everyone? Do you think that it's a rule that um, can be can be overcome with a certain amount of research? How do you, how do you feel about that? Yeah. So I, I think it's, you know, write what you know is, it, it's a good adage, basically. It's, you know, if it's a good rule of thumb. I don't think it necessarily always applies. I mean, for example, you know, I've got friends who are accountants, so they won't mind me saying, but if I was an accountant, I probably wouldn't have, have had an accountant as my lead character in this action thriller novel. Although now I'm thinking about it, that might that might have made that might actually be fun. I mean, there, yes, but yeah, there is but, a Ben Affleck movie entitled yeah, The Accountant, yeah, so you know. It is possible. Yeah, so there is where there's a will, there's a way. <laughs> well, this is exactly it, isn't it? So, you know, yes, uh, right what you is a very good sort of rule of thumb, I think, for authors. Um, and I've been lucky enough to sort of have, have been involved with, um, you know, or to know uh, some quite exciting stuff related to archaeology, obviously. So it made a great deal of sense to, to sort of meld the two together. Um, it's it, There is always a bit of a tension within archaeology and particularly within sort of academic um, archaeology over here between the way that, archaeology is portrayed in in the media and in you know books and films and things like that and, and what it actually is you know i mean th there can be a, a massive difference depending on what you're doing you know Not if you've, uh, on the one hand you've got indiana jones sort of i was running gonna away say from, i was gonna say know. basically not everybody can be indiana jones there's just you, no it's not possible we don't it's very rare as an as a commercial field archaeologist to be shot at you know, with anything, <laughs> arrows, bullets, whatever it is, nobody that I know of has ever had to run away from a boulder that's <laughs> pursuing them down a tunnel. You know, um, it's more likely that you kind of 
sort of dodging out the way of a, a piece of um, plant machinery, basically, a, you know, a digger um, or, or something while you watch somebody dig a ditch. It's, you know, it, it doesn't quite live up to it in reality. But then that's no surprise, is it? Because, you know, that's not what people are, are going to want to read about. They want to read about the excitement and the right. adventure and the discovery. So, yeah, I think write what you know is a, is a good way forward. And it's, it's certainly what I've what I've done with with Colony. It's yeah, it's I mean, for me, um, you know, I read a lot of uh, fantasy books and, you know, and I read a lot of the uh, the hard science fiction, uh, such as Michael Crichton, Charles Walker. And my my opinion on the whole right what you know statement is it can be overcome with a certain amount of research. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, if it's not, you know, if you're writing about a subject that is not a part of your everyday life, your reader can tell if you've not done your research. Absolutely. Yes. So, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're absolutely right. It's you can overcome it. And in fact, it can be quite fun to not oh, write yeah. what you know. You know, I mean, yeah. a lot. if you think about it, it's. So Callum Ross is an archaeologist, yes, so I know that aspect of it for, for Colony. But, you know, there are also uh, submarines involved and, you know, um, aircraft and places I've not been, such as the Arctic, you know, and that, as you say, required an awful lot of very detailed research. And to be honest, that was probably the funnest thing about writing the book. I can was imagine, getting to learn yeah. about those things. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm pretty sure that, you know, Michael Crichton is not an expert in um genetic manipulation (laughs) (laughs) pretty sure um so um what i'm pretty certain he didn't do any embryonic research into dinosaurs either i I don't (laughs) i don't think so um but i'm sure he did a lot of research into genetics and um the other thing um in writing his books the, yeah. yeah and the other thing for jurassic park that he focused on was chaos theory pretty sure yeah, that yeah. pretty sure that he wasn't necessarily an expert on chaos theory when he began writing jurassic park either so um yeah I don't, th- I don't think he set a butterfly's wings flapping in New York and then <laughs> went to the other side of the world to see what the weather was like. But yeah. Right? Um, so I... Um, oh, I'm, I'm going to go off subject uh, just like one quick second. The, um, the butterfly flapping its wings in Beijing um, means you're going to have rain instead of sunshine. The, when you brought up China, it reminded me of a, an article I was reading this morning. It was, it was an article about um, how various celebrities treat their fans. And there was, and I, I'm, if you are a Justin Bieber fan, plug your ears. But I um, read, there was one little section on Justin Bieber that it literally said China does not allow him to perform there because they have rules that um, if you misbehave, if you are not like a well-behaved person, you don't get to perform there. And I'm like, so China won't let Justin Bieber perform in China because he doesn't have like good behavior. And I'm like, that's really kind of interesting to me. Yeah. That um, that they are that they're so strict on, you know, we're not going to pay you money to come here if you can't be a, a good human being. Yeah, your, your character isn't quite clean enough for us, Justin. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I just yeah. I thought that was I thought that was really interesting, and and yeah. your your comment about. Um, the, the butterfly flapping its wings just kind of triggered that memory. Yeah. Uh, but I was like, I'm, I was sitting there and I'm reading that article and I was like, well, go China. Good on yeah. you, you know? <laughs> so I just, I thought that was really interesting. Um, so one, uh, one thing I did want to ask you about is um, your reading habits. Um, so I have, I have a couple questions. Do you yeah. read and write in the same genre or do you just read across the board so 
I, I read across the board. Um, I read, I mean, some of my favourite novels are, um, for example, Satanic Verses, so Salman Rushdie. Um, things like, uh, I guess, Birdsong, Sebastian Falks. Um, I'm a fan of uh, Dickens and Hardy in particular and that sort of thing. But I also, I, I really, really enjoy uh, books by Stephen King. Um, I really enjoy Michael Crichton, we've said already, James Rollins, um, you know, that, that sort of type of book as well. I, I really just enjoy good writing that does what it's supposed to do, you know. Um, I'm quite a discerning reader, so I, if I'm reading an action thriller book, I'm not there looking for, you know, literary tropes. I'm not there looking for literary fiction. I just I want it to be... Get it. I want, well, you never get it anyway. I, I want bullets, I want bombs, I want fast pace, um, you know. But if, then if I'm reading something by, by Rushdie, for example, I'm looking for metaphor, I'm looking for, you know, all, all the rest of the, the sort of literary tradition. Um, and I enjoy the different genres for their different, you know, for their different qualities, basically. So, um, you know, when you were you were talking um, at the beginning of our chat, um that you you think it's important for writers to also read um and i wanted to yes. i wanted to bring that up again um because at the, at the time i had a comment and then we we tangented off to something else yeah. um but i wanted to to make a note that I was listening to another podcast um, by an online marketer. Like that's what she teaches. She teaches online marketing. And one thing that she um, has learned is that when you are creating content, which a book, a blog post, a podcast episode, you know, anything that you are putting out into the world for others to uh, consume, when you are creating content, it's important to replenish that creative well so that you have stuff to draw on. And, you know, I wanted to make that comment um, about your uh, when you said that you um, you think it's important for writers to also read um, as an agreement and as kind of a an addition to um, your comment. So. How do you think that your reading habits inspire your writing habits? Okay, yeah, I, I mean, I, in a general sense, I think that reading is very important for writers. Um, you know, you need to, you need to be have a finger on the pulse of of what else is out there as much as anything else. You know, it's so there's a kind of a. I guess the, the practicalities of writing, you need to know if anybody else has written it yet. You need to know how, if anybody's written anything similar, how they've dealt with it, how it was received. Um, you need to, it's training. Reading for a writer is training. You know, you see how other writers have done things, how they show and not tell, all, all the usual sort of things that you have to do as a writer. Um, and it's incredibly important to, especially if you, you're writing genre fiction like I do, to understand what people's expectations are you know of, of the book it's kind of like i was saying before if you know if you're if you're a fan a diehard fan of, of action thrillers or sci-fi you know you want to pick up that book and yes you want to be excited and you want to discover something new but also you you want a certain sequence of events you know you, you want to know that you're going to get a, a, a something specific so either the action sequences or the um, pseudoscience or whatever it is, you know. And if you break those conventions as a writer, you run the risk of turning people off, basically, from, particularly with genre fiction. I think with literary fiction, it's a lot more open because people are looking to be just just challenged in a literary sense and in you know in, in an ethical sense and all, all manner of other senses. Um, but I think for me, the the sort of breadth of different um, types of, of fiction that I read has been really important and it's it's hopefully has had some influence on Colony um, you know I've tried to keep the writing to, of quite a high standard basically I've tried to keep some description in there that perhaps you might not find um, in a lot of other action thriller books um, whether I've succeeded or not 
is up to <laughs> is up to readers to to decide. But um, that's one thing that I've I've tried to do to give it a kind of a bit of individuality, I guess. And that's something that I've absorbed, obviously, from reading more widely than just the genre that I write in. Um, so yeah, I think it's it's it is very useful, and I think it is very important for for writers to to also read. Um, okay, so here at the Piggy Bookworm, we love our indie and self-published books. What are some that you have read, um, no matter the genre, just some that you have read that you would recommend to our listeners? Yeah, I've. I mean, I've. I've a part of the community on Twitter, so I read an awful lot of um, of my friends' books on there. Um, and I've read one recently, uh, which was called Untouched by a friend of mine called Jamie Bean, um, which is, it's in a similar genre to, to Colony, really. It's an action thriller. It's set in the jungle um, and it's got a really interesting premise. And it's also, I've, it's got a kind of a bisexual um, narrative to it as well, which is it, it, not a, a, a thread that I've ever sort of read before. Um, in literature, so I was quite interested to read that and to see how Jamie had worked with it to, to sort of, you know, um, keep it within the narrative. Um, so, yeah, I'd definitely recommend Untouched. Um, the Viking on Stamford Bridge as well, um, which is by a guy called Brent Jordan. Um, that's one of the best books that I've read in the last two or three years. I mean, I, I, my recommendation to you, Pamela, would be to, to have a, a quick shifty at that and potentially to, to if you can interview Brent he's an amazing person I mean he's practically a Viking himself if you ever see any he makes videos of himself sort of swinging axes around and things and you can tell when you read this book that he knows absolutely what he's talking about and it's so well written you know and this is a guy who's published it himself um, and it reads as well as, as any you know uh, any books I've read over the last couple of years that have been published by even the big five. So yeah, I'd strongly recommend that. Um, yeah. And there are a couple of others as well, really. But um, yeah, I'd, I, I love our threads on Twitter where we basically do a writer's lift and people kind of drop their, their current work in progress or whatever they're, you know, they've written and released recently and you get to just see, you know, what everybody's produced and, and pick and choose. And we, we all sort of buy each other's books and, you know, support each other. So yeah, I, I'm one of the, um, I had to at one point mute, um, the writer's lift hashtag, um, because yeah. <laughs> I, at one point that was all that was in my feed. And, it can become know, all consuming to be honest. I, it can, it can. Yeah. I was like, I can't scroll through my Twitter feed and just see writer's lifts. I can't, I can't do it. Yeah. So I, I'm but one Interestingly of enough, I remember I remember somebody putting a comment up about this. Uh, it's probably about a year ago now. And he just said, uh, he just tweeted, um, is this what we've become? Are we just about these writer's lifts? And of course, then it turned into a writer's it lift. It turned into a writer's <laughs> lift. Yeah, you put that hashtag and people yeah. are, are going to put their books. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, my, my biggest thing is, you know, I would rather see you know the books by the people that I talk to or by the people you know that are in my Twitter feed that are talking about a book that they've read and loved you know yeah. so that's yeah. you know I I tell authors all the time I'm like you share your book links do not be afraid to share your book links because that chances are that's how I'm gonna see it I'm not gonna go through a writer's lift comments to look yeah. for books. I, I want to see that you have actually shared your book links. So yeah. that's, you know, that's my big thing. And I've bought so many, I mean, like we were talking earlier, my TBR, oh my, my poor TBR, it's practically sentient. Um, my, I'm pretty sure that my, um, Kindle, let me, let me, let me tell you just real quick. Um, my library, uh, books, 529 that is not including the books that are like this is an omnibus of all 10 books in this series but it counts as one book so that's not yeah. even counting so i probably have i would say close to 600 books on my kindle Gosh. i i'm never gonna get to them all i it's just never gonna yeah. happen but 
I'm gonna try. Darn it. So <laughs> That's the spirit. I and, like it. Yeah. <laughs> and even, you know, even if I buy your book and I never read it, I at least want to know that I supported you by at least buying your book. So, um, you know, I, I have had authors um, ask me to uh, review their book if they would send me a, a free Kindle copy. And like, I don't accept those anymore. Um, if, you know, if you want to send me a signed paperback of your book, I love my collection of my signed books. Um, but then what I will usually do is um, I will go and buy the Kindle copy so that my signed paperbacks stay pretty. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> and so and, I have this huge collection yeah. of signed paperbacks. Yeah. <laughs> and then, um, you know, I go and I buy the buy the book on Kindle. Um, because I'm like, I, you know, I want to support um, the authors, even if I never yeah. get to your book. And, you know, it's the struggle is real, Ben. I'm telling yeah. you, the struggle is real. Yeah, I can it's tell. Like, I can tell. Everybody listening, you can't see the look on oh my face at the moment. This, the struggle is very the real. The struggle <laughs> is real. I just, I sit here and I think about, you know, and then, you know, of course, um, the only place that I will go um, and accept uh, free arcs is NetGalley. So, um, you know, I get emails from NetGalley and I'm like, okay, I've got like 40 books on NetGalley, but you just sent me an email that's a read now for a book I really want to read because it looks really good. Okay, fine. And I can request it. So my net galley is like insane. So yeah, I, I will probably never get to all of these books, but darn it, I have the collection. And I love them all, and I, I treasure every single one of them, um, even if I never get and to read them. And you're giving it a shot, so I yeah. am gonna give yeah. it a shot, darn it! So, um, I I am hoping eventually my goal is to um, be able to run the picky bookworm, my small business, full time. Um, I am hoping yeah. to have that um, as my job one day, and that will probably give me more time to read. Um, so, cause yeah. I will, you know, obviously have to read in order to review books on my blog. So, you know, but that is, that is my goal. And that is my dream is to be able to run uh, the picky bookworm full time. So, okay. We've got about four minutes left. Um, this okay. has been a super fun hour. Um, last words, any writing tips or writing tools or writing advice that you think um, some of our listeners might be interested in? Yeah, I mean, there's, to be honest, it's what I found really helped me to get, I've, I've written a second book and it's it's not out just yet, it should be out next year, but what I found differentiated the writing process for me with that second book from the first one, which took nearly 10 years, um, I wrote the second one in a year and the, the way that I did that was by rearranging my routine i turned it into a part of my my daily routine i treated it almost like a job so i'd get up i got up an hour earlier basically well i got up a couple of hours earlier every day for a year in order to do a certain number of pages um and i just i got myself into a kind of self-discipline space and it to well it, it worked basically and it was an experiment for me as well i didn't know if it was going to pay off or if it was just going to take years off my life basically and take, you know take away what could have been very valuable sleeping time but um it actually worked and so i think my advice to anybody that's struggling to, to fit it in around their their um busy life is to yeah have a little look and see if you can kind of restructure the way that you you sort of run your day and if you can get that regularity in and treat it like a job um you know um it's it worked for me so yeah so so i'm going i'm going to reframe the uh the word job um okay. and and i'm going to um say let it become part of your habits and your routines um, because I know for a lot of our listeners, um, if they hear treat it like your job, 
I don't want to do that because then it's not going to be fun anymore. Um, <laughs> I know what you mean. I guess the flip, the flip side to that is that, you know, a lot, a lot of the same listeners would probably, you know, an aspiration of theirs would be to become a professional writer. Right. And to be a professional writer, then writing is your job sort of thing. Right. But right. I, hear, I hear what you say. Right. It does make it sound like a chore as opposed to, you know, the, the sort of um, – fun that it's meant to be right yes. you yeah you don't you don't ever want it to become a chore so for those listeners um that you know you you do have dreams and aspirations of making it full-time it's it should never be a job um you know i um i hear the the quote um find a career that you don't have to take a vacation from um you know i i hear that a lot and um i think for a lot of people writing is is like that so um instead of making it like a, a second job just kind of fit it into your daily routine and your daily habits and you know just kind of do that so um okay so we've got about 30 seconds left um I will put in the description where we can find Ben on Twitter so that you guys can go follow him and hang out. I have had a blast, Ben. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It was so much fun. No, thank you very much for having me. And yes, it's been a very varied and detailed conversation. I've really enjoyed it. It's yeah. been lovely to meet you, Pamela. Yeah, absolutely. I will talk to you soon. Yeah, speak to you soon. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks, everybody, for listening to my chat today with Benjamin Cross. I hope you get a chance to go to Amazon and check out his book, Colony. The uh, blurb that I read earlier makes it sound super, super fun. And the fact that it fits in with his experience as an archaeologist is such a blast. So I hope you get a chance to go over there and purchase that book and support him. And while you're on the internet, head over to thepickybookworm.com slash podcast. Leave me a comment letting me know what you thought of today's show. You could subscribe to my newsletter while you're there. Check out all my book reviews and blog posts and all kinds of other bookish fun. So have a great, fantastic weekend. I believe next week I have E.M. Harding, uh, the author of Labors of Stone on the show. I'm looking forward to it. We're going to have a great time. So have a wonderful weekend, everybody. And and cheers. Bye.